John. Well, I understand that you were expecting um, John to be preaching today. So the first thing I want to suggest to you is just lower your sights about one foot. <laughs> All right, that's where I am. Okay. I did ask for permission to just say a word about Vision Partners, which is the ministry I, I lead, and I received that uh, permission. So I've got some uh, flyers on the back table along with a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to be a prayer partner, we'd love to have you as a prayer partner. And if you'd like to get our uh, regular information, you can check the second box as well. Uh, but uh, let, I'm just going to read something off the flyer <clears throat> that will give you an idea of, about who we are. I was expecting a cookie-cutter approach that would turn our church into a church that would look like every other church they were working with. Instead, it was evident from the first meeting they were intent on letting the Holy Spirit direct the vision. They patiently worked with our team as we struggled, pondered, and worked with their guidance. What emerged was a beautiful, God-crafted image of our church that represented our location, our strength, and our people. That's what we seek to do as we coach pastors or as we work with churches. And again, we'd appreciate your prayers and would love to talk with you after the service if, if you have interest in that. Thank you for the privilege of being with you today. And I would like to talk to you about healing our DNA. In March of 1965, the Richardson home, my home, was a hive of activity and excitement. Two of the boys were on their way to leave for the state championship basketball game, <clears throat> which is a huge event in the big city of Easton, Easton, Maine, that is. 1,500 people strong when everybody was home and many of them had guests. So that was, that was my hometown. Now, this wasn't the biggest news, however. The biggest news was that mom was pregnant. Very pregnant. Barry, 22. Keith, 17. Me, 15. Scott, 10. And Brent, 5. Along with Dad, we're all awaiting for this number 6. Birth number 6. And the, the anticipation was extremely high. Why? Did you notice when I rattled off the names? Five boys. Five boys. Okay, so there were still some people in the town who were actually rooting for another basketball player. In other words, a boy. They wanted a boy. Now, the girls had a basketball team too, but hey, in those days, this is a long time ago, it was the guys that reigned, all right? So some of the town were saying they want, they want another basketball player, another boy, but most of the town was saying, please, Lord, a baby girl. Now, Mom couldn't risk the trip. It was a long trip uh, from northern Maine down to Augusta. It's about 200 miles. Uh, she couldn't do that, so she stayed home with Brent, uh, the five-year-old. And the rest of us, we all left for the big game. Now, in the big game, there's one second remaining. We, the good guys, <laughs> have the ball under our own basket, and we're behind by one point. The coach is yelling out, play number one, play number one. Everybody cuts. My brother's taking the ball out, hits Tyler with a pass, fadeaway jump shot, nothing but net, 
Game's over. Good guys win. Well, the radio broadcaster, he's going crazy. He says, it's good, it's good, we win, we win. And many claim, many claim that when that radio broadcaster started saying that, the adrenaline rush sent my mother into labor and she had a baby girl. Now, that's not exactly true. It was really a couple days later. <laughs> so anyway, state championship and a little girl. What could be better than that? But it wasn't all good news. It wasn't all good news because Sue Carroll was born Down syndrome, and she had a heart condition. So I've got a slide of Sue. And there she is at her fifth birthday. Now, she had uh, Down syndrome, and many of you would probably know that this is uh, when you have one, you have an extra chromosome, one too many. And uh, it's the most common uh, form of birth defect. So some would say that in everyday, in everyday terms, what she needed was to have her DNA healed. But there wasn't a cure then, and there's not a cure now. Now, Sue ended up having a, a short life, but a good life. She died at age eight. Uh, she experienced a whole lot of joy. If you've been around Down syndrome uh, children, you'll know that for the most part, they're just extremely loving people. And they just take in life. Uh, there's no sarcasm. There's no whatever. They just kind of respond to life, and that's how... She was. So she blessed uh, my parents. She blessed our family. She blessed the church family. And, and where she went, uh, she was just a, a lot of fun. So why in the world would I tell you that story? Well, I tell you that story because I'm under this conviction that the church in North America needs a healing of our DNA. Yes. A healing of our DNA. I want to tell you another story. And this is the story of Rod and Paula. You don't know them, but I've got pictures of them too. And so here they are, Rod and Paula. Now, this story occurred actually several years ago, but it, it made the national news. Rod Clifton and Paula Lane, they're both in their young 40s, and they're out. He's got a new Jeep. And so they're out kind of checking it out, and they decide, hey, why don't we uh, go down to the cabin that we often go to, and it's four-wheel drive uh, Jeep. Let's just try it out on the dirt road there. And so they head off down to the cabin. But as they're traveling toward the cabin, something unexpected happens. A snowstorm, a bad snowstorm. Either they didn't check the weather or it just happened out of nowhere, but it came. And as they were traveling toward the cabin, the Jeep goes off the road, and it's stuck, and it's stuck bad. Now, to make matters worse, they're out of cell phone range, and they didn't tell anybody where they were going. So there they are. Recognizing that their vehicle is hopelessly stuck, that nobody knows where they are, that they're ill-prepared, to be stuck out in the middle of nowhere in a snowstorm and in the cold, Rod decides that he's going to walk out 
and seek help. And Apollo says this is a bad idea and begs him not to go. Guess what he did? He went. He went. Well, three days will pass. Paula has survived in the vehicle. She's still okay. But she hasn't seen or heard from anybody. So she decides, I'm going to walk out. Well, as she's walking out, she finds Rod's body. He's frozen. He's died. Now, while this, all this is going, going on, of course, the families begin to get concerned. You know, what's going on? Where are they? We don't know. Well, Paula has a brother. His name's Gary. And Gary, you know, after a day, day and a half, almost two days, pacing, wondering, he says, I think they might have gone to the cabin. I said, well, we don't know that. Nobody knows that. He said, I think they might have. And he says, I'm going to go. And I'm going to rent a vehicle. I'm going to go down there and, and get them out of there. I'm going to try. And so he does. And so as he's making his way down the road, Paula is making her way out of the road. Now, she's found Rod. She's already pretty exhausted. But she's, you know, she cries, of course. And she's crying for two reasons. She's crying because he's died. She's crying because she thinks she's going to die. But as she's going along, now it's harder and harder. She's falling. She's losing energy. <clears throat> and she hears a noise. She sees a scoop. And there's the front loader. And there's Gary. Gary gets out, picks her up, drives her out. Takes her to the hospital and she recovers, fully recovers. So, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I believe that Rod and Paula represent our world without God. And that Gary, he represents God. See, I believe the truth is that the average person here in New England is a whole lot like Rod and Paula before they slide off the road. Their life's pretty good. They don't recognize they're in trouble, at least spiritual trouble. And until their situation gets desperate, they don't even realize anything's going to be a problem. What do they need? They need the seeking love of a determined brother. And that's what people around us need. Yes. And so this morning, I'd like to think about that. I'd like to think about the spiritual DNA, the spiritual DNA needed to reach the rods and the paulas yes. of our world. I don't really need to tell you that people around us Continue to come up against desperate situations. Addiction, anxiety, broken relationships, health issues, de depression, food and housing insecurity, rebellious children, caring for aging parents, unemployment, loneliness. And I don't want to depress you too badly, but the list could go on. We know these things are true. 
And people are often trying to solve these problems on their own. Sometimes they seem to succeed, but most of the time they fail. They need someone to come alongside of them, to be with them. And of course, they do need Jesus. They need Jesus. So that's where we come in. But what can we do? What do we need to do? Well, I'm going to suggest five things. I know that sounds like you're going to be here an hour and a half, but it's really not true. I want to suggest five things, and I'm always going to say we because this applies just as much to me as to you or anybody else. We. We need to open our eyes. Jesus says, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. That's in John 4, 35. Open our eyes. Now we need to ask God uh, for grace. Maybe I should say right up front, uh, I'm a man, and as a man, I'm not saying all men are this way, but if I'm not looking for something, I don't see it. Are you some of you guys that way? I mean, I can go buy something a hundred times and not see it until I'm looking for it, and then I can see it. The women are better than, than that at this, but I mean, I'm horrible. So, so we need to ask God for grace to see people as he sees them. That's not easy to see them as separated from God, as people in trouble without the hope of eternal life, unless something changes. You're probably well aware that the church has been in decline in America, North America, for the last decade or more. It's not just COVID. The church was in decline before COVID struck. And New England, you're probably aware of this too, over the last 10 years there have been lots of studies, and every time, New England's the most irreligious area in the whole country. They always list the top 10 worst, you know, religion, least religious states. Five of the New England states make the top 10. Wow. Three make the top three. Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Not necessarily, not necessarily in that order. But they're the three least religious. And here we sit. Now, we understand that that fact. We understand that fact, but I don't know if it really gets us. I don't know if we realize that the people in our state and in our city and in our neighborhoods, they're in danger of missing Jesus, both now and eternally. You see, everyone doesn't go to a better place. You've been to a funeral or a celebration of life recently or the last few you've been to that you didn't hear somebody say, I'm glad they're in a better place. Every time I go, I hear that. Every time. You know what? That's the devil's lie. 
Now, sometimes it's true because the person knows Jesus and et cetera, but lots of times it's not true. Everybody doesn't go to a better place. That's the devil's lie. And and I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I haven't been to a funeral or a celebration of life that I haven't heard it. And it's a lie. So we need to open our eyes to the fact that many, maybe most of the nice people who live around us in nice homes with nice cars and nice kids and nice smiles, they're in danger. And we need God to heal the DNA in our eyes so that we see the truth. We all need this. We also need to open our hearts, first to God and then to others. Now, maybe we need to open our hearts before we can see, before we can open our eyes, or maybe it's only as we open our eyes that we can open our hearts. I I really don't know which is first. But here's the great commandment. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, at the end of John's gospel, it's chapter 21, Jesus invites Peter to take a walk with him on the beach. Now, why did, this ta- why did they take this walk? Because Jesus is going to ask Peter, do you love me? I say, what? Why? why would they do that? Why would Jesus ask Peter this question? Well, I think he asked the question because love is central to godly DNA. It's at the heart of it. And we can do a lot of good things as individuals and as churches, etc. But if it's not rooted in love, it's less than Christian. Isn't that true? If it's not rooted in love, it's less than Christian. Now, we could we could have fun trying to define love here and all that. And I define love as seeking what is best for the other person. It's not the maybe it's not the best definition. It was the best one for me. And sometimes when I don't feel like being loving, I have to go to that definition. I have to seek what's best for the other person. But we need God to open our hearts and fill them with love because 2 Corinthians 5.14, great verses says we are to be compelled by love. This love brought Jesus from heaven to earth and eventually all the way to the cross. And we need Jesus to fill, with that, fill us with that kind of love so we're willing to go wherever it is we need to go. So open eyes and open hearts will lead us to what? Open hands. Open hands. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, I think when we hear that verse, first thing we think of is, is money. But there are many ways to open our hands. Assisting others with things like carpentry and Electrical things and plumbing things. I mean, that's amazing. Believe me, I can't do any of that stuff. And so when people help in those areas, I really appreciate that. You know, we had an electrician in this last week, did some work for us. I appreciated everything but the bill. 
just so you know. But I, I couldn't do those things. So providing meals, cleaning a home, filling a woodshed with, with wood so someone could heat their home in the, in the winter. I mean, those are amazing things. Words of encouragement or providing free child care for a couple that could actually go out and take a date and actually afford it. Afford it. I mean, that's great. And yes, we can give financially. All of these and more can be used by God to demonstrate his love. It shows how, in a way, it's demonstrating to people that we are living for Jesus. Well, I could spend a lot of time there. I'm not going to go right on to the fourth open that I believe has tremendous potential. And I think it's one that in this day and age is being ignored. And that is open our homes. Acts 5.42 says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Now, sadly, I think a lot of our homes have become fortresses instead of instruments of grace. And if that's true, that's a sad thing. We work hard, or maybe we play hard, and especially in the work world, we commute. Some of you might go to Boston to work every day. I don't know. Wouldn't be unusual. So we commute. We work hard. We commute. We go in the garage. We close the door. We lock everything up. And we never see anybody. That's how a lot of people are living their, their lives today. And maybe you. I don't know. Now, if that's true, we're, we're missing a great, great tool for the kingdom of God. So some things that I would just say we might do, and everybody's situation is different. And I, when I talk about this, I always want to say I understand if you're a believer and your spouse is not a believer, uh, this might get tough. If you're in a situation that literally, you know, you're living in a studio and you can still have somebody in maybe one, to, one or two at a time, but there, there are difficulties, I know, when you speak generically about things. But I think in general, I can say this. We can have people to our homes for coffee and, and meals. We can throw parties. We can host important events. We can have game nights. We can do all kinds of things in our homes. I'm, I'm taking a course right now that the individual leading it says we should have, this is what he does, and he's encouraging everybody to do it. He says you should have open table once a week where everybody in the neighborhood knows they're welcome to come to the meal. All right. Now, you don't start there, but he, he talks about how you build up to that and all that kind of stuff. But it's very, it's very, very interesting of, of how he talks about this. Now, Marilyn, my wife and I, uh, before COVID, we actually did have the neighbors in quite a bit. And, uh, and it was good. Now, we haven't done it since COVID started. And so we need to get on the ball with that again uh, about using our homes in that way. And another thought came to me, because I, I hear older people talk about, well, how do, how do we reach young people? Well, something to think about is young people really love 
to eat. And they love to hang out. So maybe if you got a home and you know a couple young people and you said, you know, we're going to have a meal. Why don't you come over to eat? We'd love to get to know you. Come on over and have a meal. And, and after you do that a couple times with them, you say, you know, if you'd like to bring some friends, why don't you do that? And if that works, and maybe they start hanging out, maybe you invite them more. Maybe you, you can really do a lot with good food if you're a cook. And a lot of you are good cooks. I know that. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying it's an idea. How might God have you use your home? I think God needs to heal the DNA of the doors of our homes so that they swing wide open instead of being closed. Just think about it. Well, the final and last open of the day is this. Open our mouths. Acts 20.27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, I've heard lots of people, probably you have too, say something like this. Well, I don't, I don't talk to people about Jesus, but I, I, live it, I, just, I live my life in front of them. And I said, that's good. I'm glad you live your life in front of them. But you know what? If you don't tell them about Jesus, all they know is that you're a good guy. All they know is that, oh boy, he's, he's super nice. But they don't know that the reason you're such a good guy is that Jesus has changed your life. Now, I'm not saying every time you do something positive, you, you have to say, well, that's because of Jesus. I mean, don't freak people out here. However, there comes a time in relationship as you're living out your faith, somehow you got to point to the Lord. So it feels awkward at first, maybe, to tell somebody, well, you know, I'd never be that way if, if, if Jesus hadn't changed my life. Or when they say thank you, you, you say, well... That's all because of Jesus or, well, praise the Lord or, you know, whatever. Start doing it with each other as believers and you'll be able to do it a little easier with those who are not yet believers. Uh, But I believe it's vital that we open our mouths. Because all of our helping and all of our serving and all of our giving and all of our encouraging, how are they going to know that it's because of Jesus? We need to tell We need to tell our story. Tell our story of how Jesus changed our lives. As we get to know people, we'll get the opportunity. Then we need to tell his story. You know, how he came to earth, born, he lived, died on the cross, rose again. And he's the source of both life right now and eternal life. Now, if, you, if we got our theology right, we know that eternal life is as soon as we accept Jesus and as we continue. But, you know, somebody that, you know, they don't know the scripture, but, hey, he's the source of life and eternal life. I hope you're praying for at least one person very consistently who you know is not walking with Jesus. 
who you interact with, maybe a neighbor, maybe someone you work with, maybe somebody where you work out in the gym or whatever. I hope you have at least one person that you're praying for them by name. And you're saying, Lord, help me help them to know who you are. Help me help them step over the line of faith. Now this message is obviously primarily about the DNA of helping others. Of having a mindset of helping others into faith. Worship is vital. Community is vital. And we could obviously speak about those, preach about those, but here today, I just invite us to really think about, do I have a God-given DNA when it comes to mission? I believe you had a Faith Promise Convention here a few weeks ago, and you looked, you kind of looked at the world situation. Praise the Lord, we need to. But if we're not concerned about the person across the street, how is it that we're concerned about somebody that we don't even know around the world? We need, we need both. We need both. Well, the first step to any God-given ministry, I believe, is prayer. And so we ask God to give us I don't know a better way to say it. I'm sure there is. I haven't thought it through yet enough yet, but a God-seeking DNA. <laughs> so we need God and ask God to open our eyes to the needs of those around us, open our hearts to genuinely care for those who do not know Jesus, open our hands to take action, to demonstrate the love of God, to open our homes, to foster caring relationships, and to open our mouths to tell his story and our story and to listen to their story that we might invite them into relationship with Jesus. So, I encourage you to remember Rod and Paula enjoying life, thinking everything is great until they realized they were in a desperate situation. And maybe even more, remember Gary Paula's brother, concerned for them that he did something that his family considered stupid. He went out and rented a front loader and went down a dirt road, hoping he'd find them. And in this case, he did. Let's be Gary. Motivated by love, willing to do what is necessary to help others to safety, both now and eternally, all to the glory of God. God bless you, and thank you for this privilege.